My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a FOMO bonus episode. I just came up with that term and I'm using it. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO sapiens 24-7. And you know what gives me FOMO? Yeah, NFTs. Yes, it's true. They're everywhere. It's a hot topic. Literally everywhere I go, it's mentioned. And so we're going to talk about that today with a man who is deep in the space. His name is Jordan Freed. He is a blockchain evangelist and crypto capitalist. And he's currently a chairman and CEO of Immutable Holdings, the blockchain holding company. And his goal, which is super interesting is to build the Berkshire Hathaway of blockchain. That's spicy. Now, <laughs> he's currently working on launching something very, very big. It's called NFT.com. And so we have Jordan here to tell us what the heck is going on with NFTs. Because I think a lot of us, it's so confusing. It's like, what is this thing? And we're going to get into it today and understand what he's building. Jordan, welcome to FOMO Sapiens, or as I call it today, FOMO bonus episode. I'm excited for the FOMO bone bonus episode. That's a <laughs> mouthful. And uh, Patrick, thanks for having me, man. It is my pleasure. All right. I want to start out. Let's just start at first principles. Okay. I want you to define three things for us, okay? Define Web3, define Metaverse, and define NFT. Yeah, so, uh, wow. Uh, so let's start with Web3. Um, to define Web3, I'm gonna define Web1 and Web2, and then I'm gonna define Web3. Web1 was the idea that every organization on planet Earth needs a web presence, right? We need to onboard all of these organizations online. That's your church, that's your synagogue, that's your mosque, that's the... Uh, that's the school district, that's the bakery, that's the barber shop. Everyone needs to have a web presence. Um, that's web one. Uh, and that's like the 90s. Remember the 90s, 1994, 1995? I used to do that as a side business as a kid, just helping little organizations get online. Web two was every organization needs to be social with their clients or their customers. So that's, hey, KPMG, KPMG, Deloitte, they need to tweet, right? The barbershop needs to tweet or have a Facebook page, right? Uh, or have a Yelp page. Um, the restaurant needs to engage and uh, respond to restaurant reviews, all of that good stuff. Um, so that was Web 2. Web 3 is this movement towards every organization needs to allow their constituents, their customers or their clients to be stakeholders or have a voice in how those organizations are governed or how those organizations make decisions. Now, for those business owners listening, don't freak out. I'm not suggesting that your customers need to be a piece of your cap table right now. But we are moving to this model of a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, which is technically just a legal entity, just like a, a, a C-Corp or an S-Corp or an LLC, but where users could come together and make decisions around the products that they love. Imagine Nike consulting all of their, uh, you know, global fan base on, hey, do you like this new 
collaboration we did with this artist before we drop it. Hey, you've bought our shoes before um, and you have some, you know, because you've bought 10 pairs of shoes, maybe you've got this kind of decision-making authority in terms of how Nike rolls out products um, or uh, in terms of, you know, what shoe your favorite basketball player wears on court or, um, you know, uh, how a platform, like a, like a, a social network, like a Twitter that you use, what the rules of them are. So Web3 is this whole idea that platforms could be decentralized um, and that users are going to get to have a little bit more control in, 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 in that idea of decentralization. Let's talk about the metaverse for a second because I think that was the second one. The metaverse is nothing new. We've had centralized metaverses for a really long time. I got in a lot of trouble growing up in a metaverse-like environment called an MMORPG, a massive multiplayer online role-playing game called RuneScape. RuneScape was this browser-based game that looks like you're walking around this 3D world and um, I sold virtual currency in that game. This is digital currency a decade before Bitcoin, the year's 2000. Okay, so it's like nine years before Bitcoin. Um, I sold RuneScape gold points. I did something in the gaming world for any gamers listening. It's called RWT, Real World Trading. Apparently, real world trading is banned, but how am I supposed to know that I'm 12 years old? Um, and I started selling RuneScape gold points on eBay took off, had a major business. I was making thousands of dollars per day for about 90 days. Uh, so it was a really successful business. I stashed away a lot of cash really quickly as a 12-year-old um, uh, until a knock on the door came and a multi-billion dollar game company called Jagex Limited sued me. <laughs> what? They oh, yeah. sued a 12-year-old? That is, yeah. that is yeah. kind of yeah. epic now, and terrifying at the same time. Now, now, in here is the definition of metaverse. So I'm getting to it. I, okay. I thought the audience would like this story. I'll give the definition to the story. This was a centralized metaverse, a mm. centralized world where, you know, one company, Jagex Limited, owns all the intellectual property. They own the swords and the shields and the avatars and everything you do in this game, they technically own. You cannot spend 10,000 hours building up a character and then sell it on eBay, as we learned. So that was an interesting lesson, by the way. I never would have understood Bitcoin when I found Bitcoin if I didn't have that lesson, if I didn't have that experience. So I'm still very grateful for that. But the metaverse is this whole idea that all of us could engage and interact with each other in a uh, non-physical environment right? We've, we're in the physical verse right now, but in, in a non-physical environment, while having total decentralization, uh, empower property right ownership in that environment. I don't believe a metaverse can exist in a centralized way in a bunch of AWS servers. Metaverses really need to exist on the blockchain. So, so this is a virtual reality, a, a world that doesn't exist in in real life IRL, but exists in you know um, in, in 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 a in a metaverse uh, in, a, in, a, in a virtual environment uh, where all of us can we can own pieces of land, we can own virtual apartments, we can own virtual items. Our avatars can look the way we want them to look, and and all of that. And then your final one was it was Web three, it was metaverse, and it was NFT. This is this is going to tee us up for the rest of the conversation. NFT. Yeah, and and. NFT. Let's talk about NFT. And NFT literally stands for non-fungible token. Literally, it is an ERC-721 token. There's some other standards for it, but the ERC-721 is the most popularized of it, which is a type of smart contract that exists most commonly on the Ethereum blockchain, but now exists on other blockchains like Solana, Polkadot, Hedera, Hashgraph. I'm giving you a technical definition now. What I believe NFTs are are quite literally digital property protections or mm -hmm. digital property rights. Mm -hmm. It says that Jordan owns this virtual piece of land and Patrick doesn't, and Patrick owns 
this picture of a monkey and Jordan doesn't, right? That is that is like at its core what an NFT is, a way to assign property value to something that is rare uh, and to something that is non-fungible or um, you know really just belongs to you. So um, yeah, all those things are somewhat interrelated, which is probably why uh, you wanted us to define them. Yeah, the I just like, I, because I think the reality is that like we talk about these things. Like if you go to a dinner party in New York City and these three topics don't come up, you you should leave because it, it's not a, the, you know it's, it's not, not a, a it's party. not a real thing. It's what the people are talking about, and I think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of like doubts, and you know it's just kind of like interesting where we are right now. We live in a crazy time. Now, <laughs> true or false? I'm going to do true or false with you. True or false, Jordan? You pay two million dollars for NFT.com. True, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, what? Talk, talk about that. I just want to know what the heck that's about. Like, how does one even do that? Like, how do you, I assume you're not going on like, cause I've bought domains before. You're not going on godaddy.com and doing the, no, you know, you're not. <laughs> talk about no, that. No, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm 33 years old. I'm, I share that because I'm, uh, my entire life I've had an internet connection and I would do crazy stuff online, man. I would be, meeting people in China on a message board and getting them to, um, getting them to, uh, you know, ship products or drop ship for me. So all of this really characterized my journey of, Hey, I, I met this underground group of people. They call themselves domainers. Domainers are people who can basically help you acquire some of the hottest domain names in the entire world. Um, and, and one of those, one of those helped acquire, uh, NFT, uh, help me acquire nft.com. Um, his name's Andrew Rosner. He's in, uh, he's in Portugal. Um, and he would send me a list. Uh, he had, he had some, he had some big domain names. Andrew, uh, definitely, I think w regrets the transaction. If he would have held onto it for a couple more years, um, he probably would have made, uh, probably would have made much more, not even a couple more years, just like one more year. It was funny after he sold it to me, offered to buy back for more than twice what I paid for it. Um, but uh, uh, there's there's just amazing things like golf.com, things like sex.com, things like xxx.com. You're not going to GoDaddy for that. There are these brokers and these people who are quite literally professional domain squatters. As a young kid, I always felt like domain names, especially .coms, were pieces of internet real estate. I don't really mess with the .nets and the .orgs and the .ios and the .xyzs. I never loved those TLD, those top-level domains, but I loved the .coms. It was like a way for you to own a piece of the internet. And fun fact, Patrick, I've never sold a domain name. I've only ever purchased them, and I always figure out what to do with them later. So I own PuertoRico.com. I own wow. CBDC.com, Central Bank Digital Currency is what that stands for. I own Fried.com. My last name is spelled uh, F-R-I-E-D, spelled like fried, but mm. pronounced freed. So I bought that for 50 grand, and I had an offer over a million dollars to sell that. So, uh, you know, these things are just assets. They're like things of value. I think fried.com is always going to be valuable. Uh, and who knows what I'll do with it, right? Maybe like a foundation at some point when I give all my money away or, or uh, who knows, but it's just, uh, they're, they're great things to have. This one I couldn't let go. When I first started talking about NFTs, it was probably 2018, 10 people showed up. I knew NFTs were going to be a thing. They weren't a thing in 2020, right? The, all of this hype is in the last tw 12 months. Yeah. And uh, I actually started negotiating for the domain name in October of 2020. We agreed on a price in December. We closed in January of 2021. I 
would be lying to you if I told you that what happened in the months after that, uh, I, I thought was going to happen. I had no idea that OpenSea would raise $300 million at a $13.3 billion post money valuation. I knew that NFTs were something you could do on a blockchain. I believed in the technology. I had my own use cases for it. But that one is is serendipitous timing. It was just, you know, right place, right time, right domain, was able to purchase it. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Yeah, you're like pre-FOMO. I mean, this is a space where, like, let's let's just be honest. Like, there is so much FOMO in this space. There are real people and there are real things. There's also, like, a crazy amount of hype. It just is the way that, I mean, you, you think about the Jack Dorsey tweet was purchased for 2.8 million, I believe. Then yeah. And then it was resold or they, I think the bits came in at, like, 20K. So, like, it's the wild, wild west. There's some real stuff. There's some not real stuff. We will see how it shakes out. But you are building something. You just mentioned OpenSea. You were building, I would say, sort of a competitor to OpenSea um, called NFT.com. Talk about what you're building. So I would have I would have totally... Can I swear on this? No, What's we don't like? swear on no. FOMO sapiens. <laughs> <laughs> I would have fudged it up yeah, there you go. in my 20s. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would have fudged it up in my 20s. I would have not done the right thing with this domain name in my earlier career um, as a little bit more of a, an egotistical uh, guy who thought I'd know it all, right? Mm. Um, and I think that my own emotional maturity led me to realize this is too good of a domain name to belong to one person or one company. Mm. It needs to, for this to really work, it needs to solve the core problem in Web 2, which is, Patrick, the problem in Web 2 is we are talking about your uh, your buddy. Can I mention him real quick? I won't say his name. I'll yeah, his you name. can. You can. Yeah, I'll mention his hand. Punk6529, right? He's a f- famous guy online now with a big following. Uh-huh. The funny thing about building a big Web2 social following is you're building a mansion on someone else's land. You're literally building a mansion on Jack Dorsey's land or you're building a mansion on Mark Zuckerberg's land if you if you do it on Instagram or Facebook. Um, that's where your following is. We knew that there were problems in the Web2 space in terms of creators being disenfranchised. It's so funny that Kim Kardashian is one of the largest followings on the plant in the planet and The Rock Dwayne Johnson is one of the largest followings on the planet on Instagram. 
yet they don't own equity in the company. They can buy the stock in the market, they can buy Facebook shares, but they don't vest equity for all the value that they've driven to help these organizations justify these tremendous valuations of people mm. sitting there all day interacting with that content. What's worse is that arbitrary rule changes can drastically affect someone's income. There's an entire cottage industry of full-time mommy vloggers or bloggers, not just mommy vloggers, but like moms and dads and gamers who literally twitch themselves all day long playing video games or upload those videos to YouTube. And the second Google changes an algorithm, they can see 50% of their income totally disappear overnight, right? This is the problem with having your income be dependent on a web two social platform or on a behemoth tech conglomerate to depend on them if you're doing fulfillment by Amazon. Mm. Um, there are issues with being dependent on Amazon for your income. We knew that we wanted to solve these problems. And the way we figured to solve it is NFT.com can't be our uh, can't be mine. It needs to be ours. It needs to be a platform that quite literally any creator could come to and first own their presence. The way we're doing that is you can come to NFT.com. I'm in NFT.com forward slash Patrick or NFT.com forward slash FOMO. You're the FOMO guy or NFT.com forward slash FOMO sapiens, right? The FOMO, sa uh, FOMO sapiens community. And you can mint that and you can own that token. Now that token, that's a subtle difference to like going to sign up for a Facebook account or going to sign up for a Gmail account that token is yours. We can't eminent domain you and take your profile back. We can't reclaim your email if we really like your email handle. You own that token. That token is your identity. It's your single sign-on authentication credential for how you log into NFT.com. Now, that profile that you're logging into, what is that? That's your gallery if you're a collector of all of this digital intellectual property that you're eventually going to be in possession of. If you don't think you're going to own NFTs in the future, I've got some harsh news for you. You are you are likely going to be forced to own NFTs. Your identity credential will likely be issued to you in the form of an NFT. An NFT could represent your passport. An NFT could represent a login credential. Mm. An NFT could represent an authenticity certificate of a Rolex or the title deed to your apartment in Manhattan or a piece of land somewhere up north in the Hudson Valley, right? It is absolutely going to be the case that everyone is going to have an NFT at some point in the next decade uh, or so. So uh, we want NFT.com to be the home base for all of those NFTs. It's your gallery to display, or you'll have privacy settings to not display if you don't want to display that you own a property in Manhattan, or if you don't want to display that you have a, a picture of a bored ape that you paid over $200,000 for. Um, but but it, um, it, it'll also be your storefront if you're a creator. And I think the most important thing about all of this is the creators are the ones in control. The people with the profiles, we have opted not to structure ourselves like a normal company on the stock market, but we've opted to structure ourselves like a decentralized autonomous organization of users who can come together and make decisions for what this platform is. You know, regardless of what your politics are, Patrick, no one ever expected that a 30-something-year-old white dude behind a tech platform would deplatform a sitting president. We never expected the tech executives to become more powerful than governments, right? Than prime ministers and the leader of the free world. Um, and you know, I, I think we need to rethink the governance, right? The legal controls and the technical controls behind these platforms. And that's why we're putting creators in control. FOMO. FOMO. 
One question here. So <laughs> for anybody who's used, you know, sort of has that crypto wallet, like I, I have my MetaMask wallet. Don't hack me, by the way. <laughs> I, I've, I've learned a lot about this whole space because I've been sort of actively engaging and it's it's complicated. Like there's a lot of, it's interesting. Like we've moved to the point where we're so advanced that you have to write down a, a, a phrase on a piece of paper and hide it in a safe to be able to unlock it later on, which is yeah. like the fun thing about cryptology and, and crypto. But I, you know, I bought some Ethereum domains and I go on to the site and I buy them and they're $5 a year and there's a one-time fee. And then you pay $80 in gas fees, which is like the fee of, you know, for the sort of the, the network and the computing and all the stuff to, yep. to some person you don't know who the heck it is. And it was this really an interesting moment when I did that because I realized like, hmm, this is interesting. Like people talk about these um, cryptocurrencies, but yet the transaction fees are astronomical and you don't know what you, you're actually paying it to, which is, kind sure. of, which is kind of funky. So as you think about how this entire space evolves, like how do you, th that is a, I think a barrier to massifying this technology. Like where does it go? How do you, how do you get it to become a thing where you know, like a 75 year old grandma is using NFTs? Yeah, great question. So talking about blockchain right now in 2022 is kind of like talking about the internet in 1994, 1995 mm. on like a television show, mm -hmm. right? Or on, on a talk show. A lot of people called the internet a fad, right? The internet was incredibly difficult to sign on to. You had a company called America Online literally shipping CDs to yeah, people. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that, was programmed, that literally programmed their machines to, to run through a telephone line, remember, dial up. It, it could take 10 minutes to check one email, mm. literally 10 minutes to check one email. But in some cases, that was as bad of a user experience as a fax machine, right? Mm. Sending something through a fax machine and it going through uh, going through a fax uh, or, 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 the, or the telephone network uh, to print out a paper on the other side. So when we look at the early user experiences of these early technologies, dialing onto the internet is a much better experience right now. In fact, most of us have a smartphone in our pockets to be able to do it uh, on a regular basis, on a 4G or LTE or 5G network from wherever we are in the world, roaming in 100 plus different countries. And, and we've improved that quite drastically over the last 25 years. That is a much, objectively, a much better user experience. Most people have a high-speed internet connection at home. At this point, if you're listening to this, you probably have access to one or at least a good data plan from a, from a telecom provider. We're not there yet on the blockchain. It's very early, very nascent technology. We need to we need to get to a point where we can onboard new users. So for everyone listening to this right now, we need to get to a point where we can onboard new users for under $5 in under five minutes. That's where we're going. That's aspirational. We will get there as an industry, but it's not at the point where grandma can easily onboard new value to the blockchain and use the blockchain, we need to abstract away the complexity for grandma to send a message directly to the blockchain itself. Now, there are tools coming. There's companies like Alchemy and Infura. I looked at another one today uh, called Zonk, which actually make it easier for companies like us that are building blockchain applications to not talk to the blockchain at all. 
we talk to a set of APIs, somewhat of an in-between between the blockchain that batches the transactions and make it easier, and in some cases can reduce the cost of gas to a particular user. When you bid on something on OpenSea, it's actually a gasless bid. When you're bidding on something on a the, the OpenSea, for those that don't know, is that big NFT marketplace that exists today. It's gasless. It doesn't hit the Ethereum network, but if you win the bid, uh, you got to do an Ethereum network transaction. It also, Patrick, the point you're bringing up is, will we be using Ethereum in five to 10 years? I think that there are going to be many networks. I was part of the founding team of a network called Hedera Hashgraph, for example. It was, uh, the critics called it an Ethereum killer, right? The people said, hey, this is trying to be an Ethereum killer. We never said that ourselves, but you know, where Ethereum does 12 to 18 transactions per second for as high as $80 gas prices, the Hedera network will do 10,000 transactions per second for as little as less than a penny, in some cases, a hundredth of a penny. So we do have carbon neutral networks now. Uh, We do have much more energy efficient networks. These are much earlier in their adoption curves. There's 200 million accounts on the, of users, maybe some users have two or three or four accounts, but there's 200 million accounts in the Ethereum network. Whereas some of these earlier networks only have a million or 2 million or 5 million. Uh, So um, the space is not one. We don't know what the dominant blockchain will be. Blockchains are getting more performant, just like internet connection speeds are getting more performant. We will get to a point where gas prices are cheaper, where the user experience is cheaper, and we can onboard someone for under $5, under five minutes. And I think that's when that's when mass adoption comes. My prediction is within the next five to 10 years. Okay, so everybody watch this space. What I my takeaway is that Jordan and I, we're going to start a TikTok called Grandmas of Crypto because <laughs> I, I actually think, I mean, it could be cool. Joy. <laughs> That'll be a media company someday. All right, Jordan, tell us if we want to get more involved in what you're building, where do we go? What do we do? Yeah, so so for everyone listening first, I want to comment on your security, Patrick, before I jump in because I'm getting some anxiety on your crypto security. So I'm going to help you and I'm going to help out everyone who's listening here because you need to take crypto security seriously. Right. You, if you're coming into the space, you've got to know what to do with your wallet. So the first thing you got to do, don't just download MetaMask, download MetaMask. And uh, you go to metamask.io to download MetaMask. Patrick, you can put that in your show notes. Uh, Don't just use MetaMask. Don't just write that down on a sheet of paper. Don't just write that down um, uh, and store it in a safe. Get a Ledger device. Ledger, and don't order a Ledger device from a third-party vendor. Go to ledger.com. I believe that's their website. I'm going to confirm it for everybody right here, right now. You got to do cold storage, people. Cold Cold storage. I learned that last week. (laughs) <laughs> it is ledger.com. That's L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Yeah. This is the company. Do not accept a ledger from a stranger. Don't accept a ledger that you picked up on the street. Don't accept a ledger that's already been opened. You need to be mm-hmm. plastic wrapped, shipped to you directly from ledger because people do sell these online with malware on them that will steal your crypto. I'm not trying to freak everyone out, but you do have to take your You got to be paranoid. I, I know. I you like, got to be paranoid. It's you a little crazy. Paranoid. It is, it is a little crazy, but you are literally, what is the ethos of crypto? Crypto is like, you know, right now for everyone listening, I got a couple points on why this matters, why you should do this. The first is, if you have more than $10,000 in a bank account, you are not able to withdraw that without giving the bank three to five days notice. That's three to five days notice to get your own hard-earned money out of a bank. In the case of a bank run, you're probably not getting your money out at all. There's only $250,000 of FDIC insurance. If you've got more than that, in the case that you do, congrats. 
congrats, you're wealthy, um, you're likely not going to be able to withdraw that. If you have less than that, you still might not be able to withdraw that, but the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation will probably back you up to 250000 Um at that stage, though, they're printing a lot of money. Two, it's 24-7, 365 access to your money. You can't send a wire transfer on a Saturday or Sunday. There are some cases you want to send a wire transfer on a Saturday or Sunday. Be your own bank, right? I've been in situations where Wells Fargo or Chase, literally retail Chase, has shut my accounts down because I sent money to a cryptocurrency exchange. Your financial institution should not be telling you where you can send funds to. So by having a ledger device, you can have 24-7, 365 access to your money. You can take it across borders with you. You can take it anywhere with you. This device is a better sign-on ID. You create a pin, you plug it into your computer via USB or, or USB-C. Um, and it'll allow you uh, only if that is plugged into your computer, are you able to execute the transaction? So I highly recommend you connect your ledger to your MetaMask. Um, that is the ultimate form of security, Patrick. And if you're super, super, super ninja and you want to do this, some people do what's called a three of five. You buy five ledgers. You say that you need three signatures of the five, uh, to execute a transaction and get this. You get five different safety, depo uh, safety deposit boxes at five different places, and you put you put the keys in five different places. Thus, your Bitcoin is that's locked if you up have forever. a ton of you have a ton of, a ton uh, the, of ton if of you're money. if you're playing with money if you're playing with over a million dollars or you have a fund and you're managing other people's money. That's that's what the Winklevoss twins do. The Winklevoss yeah. twins have done exactly what I just described. They got a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. If you got over you know ten million dollars of Bitcoin, you probably want to consider what I just said. Yeah. If you're a lay user, you're talking about thousands of dollars or tens of thousands or even a hundred thousand dollars you may just you know one ledger device in a safe somewhere may be enough for you gotcha and and, and nft.com because i love that you just gave us that's like a service to the public but you know tell us tell us how we engage yeah. with what you're doing yes well, NFT.com, how you can get involved is uh, on April 26th, which is uh, you know just under a week from when we recorded this. So hopefully this is out before then. But on Tuesday, April 26th, uh, we are launching what we call a Genesis key. A Genesis key, there's only 10,000 Genesis keys, and a Genesis key unlocks you as a founder, a co-founder of the NFT.com platform. Literally, what we decided to do is invite 10,000 people to come help us govern NFT.com. A Genesis key is what you use to register NFT.com forward slash you, NFT.com forward slash Patrick or Jordan or whatever your name or brand is. That is how you mint those profiles with that key. That key is also your seat to our DAO, our governing body that makes proposals and decisions behind it. Having a Genesis key is like being on the board of directors of Twitter right now as they're deciding is Elon going to win Don't sell. Don't sell. So having it, it puts you in an all-powerful position. It's like literally being part of the founding team. It's as if the people who had harvard.edu email addresses, remember Facebook launched only to people yeah. at harvard.edu, but it's as if they were on the board. They were in charge. They got stock, right? I'm not saying you're getting stock. I'm just saying that um, it's a, it, it just puts you at the center of, of, of the NFT.com ecosystem in, in, in that community. So um, 
Go to NFT.com, join what's called the allow list or the white list, if you will. You do need an Ethereum account. So if you're listening to this, download MetaMask. It's one click to get an Ethereum account. And then actually you can buy Ethereum directly in your MetaMask wallet now with a credit card through one of their partners. So you can actually buy some ETH and then you can go to NFT.com and submit a bid. You'll connect your MetaMask wallet to NFT.com. You'll be able to submit a bid and then eventually, hopefully win a key. 3,000 people will get a key in what's called our blind auction. Anyone can bid. Only 3,000 will win. We don't determine the price, so I have no idea what they'll go for. The users will determine the price. Um, and uh, and then we'll have the remaining keys sold in a public sale, again, at a price that the community decides. So come join us. All right. That is exciting. It's going to be so interesting. Like I, Whether you're a skeptic or you bought in or you own 53 NFTs right now or you're making your own, the thing about FOMO sapiens is we like to learn about new things. And so, you know, just go check it out, read about it, see what you think, and be very careful with your crypto wallet. Again, be paranoid because even if you have $150, that's your money. Don't let somebody take it. All right, FOMO sapiens, you've learned, I think, alongside me a lot about the world of Web3 Metaverse today. And I want to thank you, Jordan, for stopping by and telling us all about it. Jordan Freed, thanks for being here and good luck. Thanks, FOMO Sapiens. Thanks, Patrick. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.